there are also ways that we're going to discuss today that you can make yourself feel better in the current moment, that you can make yourself happier in the current moment, that you might could take advantage even of some of the things that you consider disadvantages and turn them around to work in your favor. Um, there are a lot of things that Ashley and I have personal experience doing and you know, anecdotal experience and you know what the research says works and doesn't work that might could help you if you're in a situation right now where you're just not loving what you do. Welcome to the Women Rewriting the Rules podcast, a production by Gush Living. I'm your host, Sumi. And I'm your host, Ashley. And this is where modern women gather to navigate our way through the maze of personal, financial, and emotional challenges, create confidence in our independence, take control of our finances, and achieve ambitious goals, all while loving the life we're currently living. Let's start the show. All right, we're back. Welcome to another episode of Women Rewriting the Rules with your host, Ashley and Sumi. All right, we are back with episode four of season two. And today we're going to be talking about happiness at work. Yes. Um, Some tangible things and some soft things. (laughs) A, A lot of soft things and also a lot of real talk um, on all of the things you might consider if you're struggling to find happiness at work and struggling to find happiness professionally, which is very true for so many of us. Right. So I think, you know, in general, like as our podcast is called Women Rewriting the Rules, um, Ashley and I talked about the rule being that if you're a woman who loves what you do, you got lucky. Yeah. Or that if you've found some level of professional success, everything must have been handed to you. Silver spoon probably came along fairly easily. And that's not always the case. When we've had conversations, we've done some research and really looked at it. And the rewritten rule is that most people who are happy at work had to put in some effort to get there. It didn't always come so easy for everyone. Yes. So what we're going to talk about today is that loving what you do takes effort. And if you're in a place right now where you're just feeling really, you know, like actually we have some stats that say like, you know, one in three women of color are planning or want to leave their job in the next year, which is just like, you know, the great resignation, like on speed. <laughs> like it's affecting that that whole great resignation thing seems to be affecting women of color even more than the general population. Um and but you know, if you're in situations like this where you're, you know, clearly like feeling unhappy in your work or like thinking about what else to do, like there are that's valid and that could be a valid choice to make, but there are also ways that we're going to discuss today that you can make yourself feel better in the current moment, that you can make yourself happier in the current moment, that you might could take advantage even of some of the things that you consider disadvantages and turn them around to work in your favor. Um, there are a lot of things that Ashley and I have personal experience doing and you know, anecdotal experience and you know what the research says works and doesn't work that might could help you if you're in a situation right now where you're just not loving what you do. Absolutely, so I think one of those things is looking at where do you actually want to fall on 
the ladder of your career in terms of hierarchy, if you're in a corporate role, um, if you're not an entrepreneur and not working for yourself, or actually sometimes even if you're an entrepreneur and you're working for yourself, um, what is the level of responsibility and I guess just hierarchy that you're trying to get to and trying to achieve in terms of title. Okay, so like, I guess that question is like, what ladder are you climbing? And does that ladder, is that the ladder you want to be climbing? Absolutely. And how high on that ladder are you trying to go? Do you want to go? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There have been times that I thought personally, like, oh, I want to be at a certain level on a corporate ladder at a company that's of a certain size. And then in attempting to climb that ladder, realized I actually don't want to be there anymore. Right. It might actually be more enjoyable for me to sort of reset how I'm thinking about building my career that would allow me to feel more happiness in that. Yeah. So I know in your example, you actually like got, you tossed that ladder in the trash can (laughs) and and got a whole new one out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you went from, you know, being, being in, in the corporate rat race to starting your own thing as an entrepreneur. Yes. Um, And so sometimes that can be a totally valid thing, but really like sitting down and asking yourself like, okay, if you're in this group of people who are like not happy at work, I do think the first question to ask yourself is like, is this the right ladder? Because if it's not like, yes, there are strategies and there are mindsets and you can, you know, control your attitude in many ways that can make a huge difference. But ultimately at the end of the day, at the end of your life, It's not going to feel very fulfilling if you feel like you've gotten to the top. I I have a similar experience. Like I was, you know, in government contracting. And then I looked around and I like looked at the people who had grown $100 million businesses or $900 million business, a billion dollar businesses. And I asked myself, like, do I want that? Do I want that life? You know, do I want that life? Do I want that identity? Do I want that to be my impact in the world? And for me personally... The answer was no. I knew that I was a a creative soul. I knew that, you know, my calling was more in the arts, was in music, was in being a performer Um, or talking, talking my head off on a podcast with a mic. (laughs) But so, you know, so I made the changes slowly, gradually over time to make that happen. But I do think that's kind of kind of question number one. Absolutely. Um, And even just looking at some of the research that's out there. So there's a really interesting study from McKinsey that we took both took a little bit of time to read through. So I'll just share a couple of highlights from that. Um, Latina and black women are less likely than women of other races and ethnicities to report their manager supporting their career development. Um, And they also experience less psychological safety, which that is something that's it's so hard to measure because it's not always a tangible thing. But when you're in environments and you don't feel emotionally safe, you don't feel psychologically safe. um, I feel like that's one of the largest contributors to people being unhappy at work, specifically women of color, is not having a safe space to show up, be yourself, be fully expressed and have that appreciated or respected. Actually, what you just said about being fully expressed, that just really hit me because I think that is something we should all be able to feel 
at work and in life in general. So Asian women and black women are less likely to have strong allies on their team. Sometimes you kind of feel like you're floating around in a little island and there's no one else on your team that gets you or will stand up for you or speak up for you. And that's not fun. Um, And then also Latinas and Asian women are more likely than women of other races and ethnicities to have colleagues comment on their culture or nationality, like those little microaggressions. Well, yeah, but where are you really from? Where are your parents from? Looking for that additional... Um, proof that someone is a woman of color, that they have an ethnic background, that they have different cultures, instead of just appreciating the fact that you're working with someone who has a different culture. Yeah. And so what you just said right there, we're like not having as many sponsors, right? Which are like people ahead of you that could help pull you up. Not having as many allies, which are typically people in your own peer and colleague level space that can like work with you and support you. And then always feeling like you're like getting the brunt of like all the microaggressions, which like kind of deflate you emotionally and psychologically. Like I think those three factors play directly into the next chart that we were reading that showed so clearly that women of color start off with at about half of the amount of positions as white women do, like in an entry level positions. And then as it continues to climb from, to, from entry level to manager, to senior manager, to vice president, to senior vice president, and to C-suite, the percentages that women of color hold continue to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So they start off at half, and by the time you get to the C-suite, we're only at like one-fifth. Yeah. So clearly there are, you know, in equalities and inequities there that like that are real right and that we recognize are real and Ashley and I want to talk about so what do you do if since that's the case you know how do you deal because we're not here to just complain we want to like help give you our personal experience and and give you you know tools that can actually help deal with that reality Absolutely. And especially when leaving the ladder, jumping off the ladder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Plop. <laughs> with like a very nice cushion. Very nice cushion at the bottom of the ladder. <laughs> if that's not the route that you can go. And because it's like even that choice, right? Like the choice to jump off the ladder is a luxury and a privilege within itself. Absolutely. Which is something that like I'm aware of. Like not everyone is necessarily going to feel... Um, strongly like that's an option for them so it's like what what can you do so let's talk about it okay great so I think that one of the things you could do is you can start to change your mindset around your current situation right because like we said you can only control what you can control and that like the realities are the realities of this of this of like our society and while we can all work in the background to change policies and to change systemic inequalities that are going to take a really long time to change. So that can happen. We can all be working on that together in the background, but in the foreground, we also have to maximize our own internal happiness because this is our one fucking life. Like we don't want to, you know, we can do things that can actually make us happier on the day to day. And that's fully okay. First of all, is the first point. Like, it's okay to be happy. (laughs) It's okay to be happy. It's okay to try to make your life easier. It's okay to enjoy things even when you feel like there are these inequities and inequalities all around. 
it comes back to um, one of my like most favorite quotes of all time, which is be the change you wish to see in the world. It's like if you're unhappy or you're working with people who are also unhappy, um, it's looking at what are those little things that I might be able to tweak in my mindset and the way that I show up and the way that I approach this situation. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, like we are fighting for freedom and we are fighting for equality so that we can actually enjoy life. So might as well also start enjoying life now because that's what we're fighting for. Exactly. So how do we start enjoying life now? What's one one strategy? So one simple thing that I've personally done in the past is having like your own squad. Yeah. Um, so having your own squad of other people who want to be a part of it, which usually is going to be other women. A lot of times it's going to be other women of color um, that will stand up for each other when you're in environments where you feel like you don't have support or you don't have an ally. Like it's one thing to step into a meeting and feel like no one's going to have my back, but your energy completely shifts when you've had a conversation with other people before you go into the meeting and you know that you do have someone who's going to have your back. Um, in the simplest way, I had a squad um, at one of the companies that I worked at, and we basically realized that anytime one of us said something, it would go ignored, and then a man would say it two it minutes later. Yeah. yeah, and then he would get so much praise. And so we're like, okay, every time that happens – one of us is going to say, oh my gosh, Ashley, that was such an amazing idea. And I mm -hmm. love how Jack made a pivot on your original mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. So just calling it out. Mm -hmm. And then if you've got multiple people, then someone else can come in and say, yes, I totally agree. So how is the energy of this room now going to shift away from acknowledging the credit that you deserve if there are multiple people who are validating your yes. ideas and validating and supporting the contributions that you're making to the conversation. It just becomes much harder. Even if they get frustrated, even if they get upset, when multiple people are on the same page, makes that a much more supportive environment for you. I love that. I think that having a squad, finding a squad, and f taking the time to build that you know, inside your work environment is literally... Like, that's game-changing right there. It's game-changing. For your own, like, sense of allies, for your own sense of psychological safety, for your, you know, own confidence in, in speaking up in the future. Like, it affects everything. Yeah. And also, like, when you're building a squad, every person you talk to may not be the right person to right. be on your squad. Um, you know, so it does take a bit of, like, emotional intelligence to have conversations with different coworkers, see who might be on board, Feel see it out. who you can count on. Um, and actually, that's a whole podcast episode in and of itself. We should yeah. make a note, like, how to build a squad and what to look like, what to look for, and, you know, what questions to ask and all of that. Yeah. Look for that further in the season. Yeah. Something else we came up with around this topic is, you know, act like your mediocre white man acts, right? Like, I mean, we all know the trope by now, but like literally it's like um, one, one of the things I noticed in from the consulting world is like a really common phrase. And actually this specific phrase may help you a lot. So write this one down because it helped me. It's building off of what Jeremy said, I blah, 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 blah. And by the way, 
every single time this is used by, by your mediocre white man, sorry, but it had nothing to do with what that previous person said. They just used that transition statement of totally and building off what so-and-so said, I think, da-da-da-da-da. So psychologically, everyone thinks that you're going in the same direction <laughs> and actually like, you know, talking about the same thing when you could be saying something completely counter or in a completely different direction. But using that transition sentence actually gets people's brains to like attach to what you're about to say and think that we're going forward in a singular direction. So they're more likely to naturally see your point or naturally want to go in that direction or naturally agree. It's totally a gotcha. And I love it. It's like, oh, you're expecting this, but now we're going to go over here and you don't even realize it. And nobody it. questions it. Nobody no. questions it. So if you're about to say something, it's always smart to try to think about how you can position what you're about to say in a way that's, well, building off what so-and-so said, I blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I think some of that too, it's like just knowing how to show up in a meeting so that you can be taken seriously so that people will have that... Um, reduced barrier to hearing what you have to say and actually listening yes. to your points. So taking yourself seriously means, you know, what? What does that mean then? How do you show up in that way? Yeah, I think taking yourself seriously in my personal experiences have been having an authoritative voice, mm -hmm. not being afraid to stand up for yourself, second guessing your own contributions in a meeting while you're in the meeting, which is so easy and so common to add words that are softeners like, well, I feel that maybe, or well, I Does think that make perhaps, sense? or yeah, yes. Does that make sense? It's like, no, we don't need any of that. It's just, I know based on my research that yeah, or XYZ. A phrase that I like is, in my experience, XYZ. Mm -hmm. And I'll say too, like, I definitely have been in situations where I've had to just make a big stand for myself. Like, I remember one project that I worked on early in my career, and I worked with this guy who constantly talked over me. It's like, okay, I'm here, I'm leading this project. It's my job to provide a solution. Everything that I had to say, he poked holes in. Every time he asked a question, he like wouldn't let me talk long enough to actually answer the question. And so finally, one day after a meeting, we were trying to have a quick debrief. And I was like, Alex, I know that you're really passionate about this. I am passionate about it also. You've asked me for answers. I'm trying to give them to you, but I can't when you talk over me. And you're not going to hear the information that I'm sharing with you if you won't let me speak. So how would you like to communicate going forward? Should I send you this information in an email? Can we have a conversation about it where I'm allowed to okay, talk? Okay, good. You just called him out in a really polite way that like yeah. you weren't able to talk. And he was a little flabbergasted. <laughs> mm -hmm. But from that moment on, he would clear space for me to talk mm. in rooms like mm -hmm. he heard me yeah. and took it seriously and treated me better because of that I actually think that's such a good point that when you take yourself seriously enough to take a stand 
for yourself and say something that might feel risky, right? Like actually then he took you more seriously after that. Yeah. So you taking a stand for yourself, taking yourself seriously, speaking out, speaking up instead of just letting yourself get walked all over was actually like to your benefit. A hundred percent. And I didn't do it. I think the key, the key, if you take that approach, is it can't be in an accusatory no. way Mm-mm. or, or in an aggressive a judgy way. way, but it's or just in like, a victim way. Yeah. It just needs to be very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And looking for a solution because yes. I didn't say, well, Alex, you keep talking over me. I can't get my point across. I can't, yeah, I can't get a word in. And so why do you keep talking all over me? I said, hey, You're asking me for information. I'm trying to give you that information. You're talking over me. So how would you like to communicate going forward? You tell me. I love that. Which then leaves the ball in their court to tell you how they want to communicate. Right. But also in it being very clear to them that the way things are going isn't working. Right. And you're not going to participate in that anymore and you don't have to. And you know what I love about that too is like while we were talking about, you know, getting rid of all of the phrases like, does that make sense? And I think that may, I feel maybe sometimes that, you know, getting rid of those phrases doesn't mean you have to like completely not be yourself. And that's one of the problems that, you know, I felt like in government contracting, I felt like I had to sort of like be very act like all the men around me acted Mm. and when I actually you know think that that's not necessary like what you know you can very much be yourself in terms of like your own personality and your own passion which is very powerful by the way um, and your own excitement for ideas or your own way of communicating like you don't have to dull yourself down to like the way that you see the men in your environment necessarily speaking or communicating like I think it's perfectly fine to have your own unique energy about you like whatever is authentic to you but without taking away without those things that like take away your power because you're feeling some sort of insecure or imposter syndrome right so that's like the nuance there that I wanted to point out because it's not about necessarily like fitting in to the way that the old boys club communicate right it's about bringing your own way your own energy but owning that even more with more confidence and more power yeah. without dulling your comments back. Yes. Being unapologetically yourself. Yes. I love that. And I have this uh, example where I was 28 signing a $5 million contract with a company to help run the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services call center. And we had partnered with another company and the president, I was the president of my company, he's the president of his company. He came to my offices, so we were going to iron out our agreement because the two of us were working on this together. And he literally comes into my office and looks around in this big dramatic fashion before he sits down and he says, where's your dad? <laughs> Because, you know, dad was my CFO. And I said, well, dad's not here. It's it's you and I working uh, as the two presidents of our companies working to iron out this agreement. You know, like equals. You know, like equals. <laughs> and he literally throws his paper. I remember this clearly. He throws his papers down on the desk in a dramatic fashion and goes, you mean I'm supposed to negotiate with you? What are you, like my daughter's age? And I literally, it was so tempting in that moment to sort of get defensive or, you know, make some sort of snide remark or argue back or, you know, or like sulk and feel insecure and shy and call, call my dad. <laughs> 
But like, I, you know, I remember, and I was really proud of how I dealt with this in the moment. It was like, I was like, wow, he's having a man tantrum. He's having a mantrum right now. <laughs> and so I just like looked at him with like confusion and like a smirk. And I was just like, quiet, like kind of waiting. Did he have anything else to add to his tantrum or was he done? And what could he do? I mean, you know, he had no power in that situation. I would have given him power by like caving or stooping down to his level of communication. But just by being silent and letting him realize how stupid he was acting really, I think, you know, gave me the upper hand in that situation. And then we sat down and we continued to, you know, work out the agreement as planned. (laughs) But it was one of those moments where I'm like, you know, people will act in all sorts of ways. And it's always on us to decide how we respond. Right. And so, yeah, just being really intentional about that. Yeah. And I think the like the power of silence. Mm-hmm. Silence is a response mm-hmm. in and of itself. And saying it's so nothing powerful. is a full and complete response that will let the other person know oh I stepped in it or I said something that I shouldn't have said or even this person is not going to engage with me at this level that I'm currently like they're not going to meet me where I'm at they're not going to drop down to this level so I now as the person who's being unpleasant have to find a way to communicate um, so that I can actually get a response and hopefully continue on like working with this person. Right. And I think a lot of times, like if you're unhappy at work, it can be very tempting to have harsh responses or like to react strongly when someone says or does something that's unpleasant. But a lot of times if you just don't do anything. Yeah. Yes. If you just, just sit with it, cross your hands, count and to look at that. in. <laughs> it'll make them feel real stupid you know and then sometimes it's like well like do you not understand what I'm saying no I do and I'm I still don't have a response and I'm still just gonna look at you until you fix it oh my god I love like imagining this is a total side note but I love imagining remembering how Hillary Clinton dealt with the Benghazi the quote-unquote Benghazi trial, like all these false accusations coming at her, all these like made-up allegations coming at her, and the amount, this always helps me, like remembering how patient she was able to be, like how much of strong center core she must have in order to sit through that and not react to any of it, always like is an example I like to remember. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should literally Google like Hillary Clinton during Benghazi investigation. And you know, all of this stuff was completely false coming from the Republicans. And she sat there and took it, right? Because she knew she had to. That was part of what she had to do. Congress had the right to bring these things up. And she had to sit through that despite it being foul and awful and lies. You know what I mean? And so anyways, whenever I think I'm going through a hard time, (laughs) <laughs> with with people I remember her and I'm like nope I can do better like she had to she had to go through worse and she was okay yeah 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 just not letting certain things get to you um and I also think like looking at your life as a whole so if you're not finding happiness in your career what does the entirety of your world look like do you have happiness outside of work do you have happiness with your friends or romantic relationships or hobbies that you like to participate in or with your family like what are some of those other things that 
you can pour into that will bring you satisfaction because we spend a lot of time at work. We spend a lot of time with our coworkers. Um, but you're so much more than like what you do. You're so much more than what you do. Um, there's so many different aspects of you as a human to be explored and to get really curious about actually. And it can be really exciting. Um, Again, I'm like, what are all these noises now? (laughs) But it can be really exciting when you start to, I don't know, I found like when you keep a sense of curiosity Mm -hmm. and a sense of, you know, what's exciting me right now? And actually like go, because, you know, life can get really dry if you don't allow yourself to get excited by things. And I think in the past, I would get excited by things and then look around and realize, you know, no one else was excited by those things. So why should I be? And, that, cause, and then I would feel embarrassed. Like maybe I shouldn't get excited about seeing this snake in the forest because everyone else seems to ignore it. And I just think it's like awe-inspiring and amazing. <laughs> that was so suspiciously specific. <laughs> but like, I would be like, oh my God, a snake. And I'd want to like watch it and look, you know, like, like learn all about it. And it was like very exciting. And I think, but that's the magic. Like that's the magic of life. Like those are the little things that like, that zing you with energy and actually help carry you through the ups and downs of work and whatever else is going on in your life um, is by letting yourself get invigorated by the small things. Like one of the small things that I'm getting, wanting to get invigorated by is mocktails. Oh yeah. So I don't drink anymore. I stopped drinking like about us. I'm 10 years ago almost. Oh my goodness. But anyways, like I was like, you know, what would be really fun is to have like a weekly, like, try a different non-alcoholic spirit and make it into a fun drink and do a taste test and do kind of like a vlog on like, well, how did I like it? And, you know, what was the taste profile? And, you know, what did I like about it? What didn't I like about it? What I'm going to try next time? And so anyways, just like there's all these little things that we can explore, get curious about, and all these things add up to making life much more happy. Yeah. And so many of those things aren't necessarily related to work or related to like even your accomplishments, you know, where it's like, oh, like I've got this big lofty goal and this big thing that I need to accomplish. And so then I can be excited towards that. It's like, no, like what are some of the everyday regular things that just pop up that you can be excited about? Because I think too, when you're only excited by the really big things, it's easy to set yourself up for failure because sometimes you hit those big accomplishments and you get there and then you're like, this is not quite what I thought it was going to be and it's not as exciting as I thought it was going to be. Right. And so then you feel like you've wasted you know, all of this time and all of this buildup to get to this thing that was supposed to be exciting, but it's not. But like, if you're excited by... I was going to say a cute little snake, but I personally do not find snakes to be cute. <laughs> but like, if you can be excited by an interesting snake that should stay the hell over there while I'm over here that you cross paths with, you know, like on a hike, if that's exciting to you, you'll have excitement all throughout your life. Yes. As long as you're keeping that curiosity open and finding those little things that you can find happiness in and all of those micro moments of happiness 
lead to an overall more fulfilled feeling of happiness in general in your life, I yeah, think. I think so too. And, and all these things connect, like, you know, even the squad that we talked about in the beginning, like having those people in your life that you feel like have your back, like, you know, all those things connect to making you feel like you have a better and happier experience of life. Yeah. And, you know, I remember there is research around this that the most depressing day for people, I think it was like after they won a Grammy or after they won mm. an Emmy, like the day after they won was like the most depressing day of their life. Well, yeah, because you did it. What comes next? That's even like, especially being in LA. Um, oh, who was it? I cannot remember this actor's name, but he played the little boy in all the Indiana Jones movies. Okay. Um, I and I, he just recently won... I can't remember what it was. I'm like so bad at this stuff, which is sad because I live in LA. He won like an Oscar or a People's Choice Award or something like that. But in- if you know who we're talking about, like let us know, <laughs> <Yeah>. write us in. <laughs> Give us a clue because apparently I don't have one. But I do remember how powerful his acceptance speech was because he was saying that like to have hit such a high level of excess and excitement as a kid, as a child actor, he was like, I never thought that I would like get that again. rush again. And it's like, gosh, like to spend your adult life feeling some limitation in your joy and your happiness because you feel like you can't get to a higher level than like what you've already accomplished. But if you're finding joy in all the little things, you're finding happiness in all the little things, you're less likely to be in that place. Yeah, totally. And you'll, you'll figure out that like happiness comes from, comes from the little things and like, to me and going after the big things, but then always knowing that that's not going to be like the end. Like you never, you'll never like feel like, oh, now I got there and I yeah. can like relax. I made, it. I made it and I can relax. Like you're going to, you're, it's got to be something else. Yeah. There's going to be something else that you're going to be working on anyways. So like finding the small moments is going to be what keeps you going. Um, and I think what makes life worthwhile Absolutely. I always say, like, be too much. Like, be too much, yeah. you know? And if it's too much for other people, they're just not your people. Right. Like, they can find somewhere else to be with less. Okay, so if you're feeling unhappy in your career, feeling unhappy at work, a couple of things you can make uh, or a couple of choices you can make, um, and you do have choice. Like, there are always choices outside of just staying in your current situation that's, like, not bringing you happy. Um, so one thing that we talked about that you could do is you could leave, right? So you could realize maybe this isn't the career for me. Maybe I'm climbing the wrong ladder, and I need to move to a different path or a different track. That's always an option. Um you might also consider, depending on where you live and what industry you're working in, sometimes moving cities is an awesome opportunity to just have a fresh start, to be in a different environment that brings you a different level of happiness and joy and inspiration. Like I know when I moved from Texas to LA, I was like, why has it taken me this long to end up in LA? And it was just simply like the environment, mm -hmm. the weather, the fact that like I live in a beach city. There's so many things about moving that gave me 
a new source of happiness and inspiration. Actually, I do want to say about that point that understanding if you're affected by weather is real, Yeah, is real. Like I find the same for me personally, uh, coming from the East Coast to the West Coast. Like I, my, my baseline level of happiness is about 20 points higher here just because of the weather yeah. and the beach, you know, and it's not true for everybody, but like if you are affected by weather, like take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Seasonal depression is a thing. Looking at you folks that live in Seattle. Um, Okay, another thing that you could do, you could also potentially change jobs. And that could be continuing to do what it is you currently do, finding a new company to do that at. It could also be taking what you do and finding another angle in order to stay in that line of work, but have it applied differently in its everyday sort of application in your life. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And we're going through these just to help you remember that you always have choice, right? So you can also, you could leave what you do and start a business, right? You could decide, uh, like both Ashley and I did, to become an entrepreneur at some point in our careers and start our own thing. Um, you could start a side hustle. So you could keep your job, but like see if you want to start a side hustle. So you test the waters maybe. Like, you know, maybe you start small. Maybe you do this on the side. And if you missed our last episode, listen to it um, because we talk all about what to consider in starting a side hustle. But that's that's also an option. Um, You could also decide to change your agreement with your current company. So you might be a full-time employee right now, You might feel better being an independent contractor or an independent consultant. Company be one of your clients, and you could have another client or a third client as well. So there's always ways that you can maneuver your situation. Yeah, and I'll say that is a decision that I made um, to go from working full-time in-house to I'm just going to have clients and the difference that that makes sometimes even just in the weight that you feel is on your shoulders and the freedom that you feel that you have, um, depending on the culture of the organization that you're in can be night and day Mm -hmm. different where being less involved in that organization at times can give you the flexibility and the freedom to just like focus on the work Mm -hmm. to come in, get the work done, do what you need to do, and then have all of these other things going on in your life that give you a lot more freedom and flexibility as opposed to, you know, being in that we're a family situation. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, this family is toxic as fuck. And like, I don't want to be a part of this family. Um, But maybe you could still work in that organization. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You can be like the fun auntie that like pops in on occasion um, and leaves. It's true. You know, leaves when things get rowdy. Yeah, legally, they have to treat you differently if you're a consultant and culturally they treat you differently as a consultant so it really is like a different world um there's a lot of talk about quiet quitting yeah um which you know exactly neither Ashley or I are like I mean I'll speak for myself like I don't necessarily see that as like a long-term solution (laughs) for any good okay (laughs) but um I I have heard of this new thing that like was like written up in the Atlantic recently, which was like quiet extra ambition, (laughs) which is, you know, a really good like potential to think about as well. Like if you kind of feel really burnt out and drained in your current position, like, well, maybe you can start 
like going above and beyond, but strategically so that you're networking with people in other departments so that you're like, you know, showing your work in other areas of the company where then, you know, you might get introduced to opportunities that you might really like or yeah. teams that you might like better. Um, and, or, you know, you'll being the squeaky wheel, of course, like talking a lot about the extra work that you're doing or the extra things that you're um, showing up for will get you recognized in different circles than you're being recognized in right now, which could be really good for your future direction. Yeah. And I think like with quiet quitting, it, that works for some people, it don't work for everybody. And I don't, in my personal experience, full on quiet quitting doesn't work quite as easily or quite the same for women of color um, because there typically is more attention on you and what you're doing. And so where you may have some coworkers um, that can get away with, you know, just kind of checking out. In my experience, most of the women of color that I've worked with, myself included, can't do that. Um, the flip side of that can be finding that quiet ambition. Um, and it can also be identifying what are the most valuable activities on that team that need to be done um, that are missing. And then you can fill those gaps in ways that feel good to you. Um, I'm thinking about actually kind of can't believe I'm going to share this. I'm thinking about um, one role that I was in where I, I wasn't happy and I had just hit a wall and was trying to climb that ladder just was not happening no matter what I tried, no matter how I showed up. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to refocus my happiness. So I focused more on happiness outside of work, made amazing friend group. That was fantastic. But then I'm like, I still have to show up you know, here at this office and put on a good face. So I was like, what are the things that need to be done that it would make everyone happy if someone was just doing it? Um, we had a room that we were going to turn into like a social media war room that needed mm -hmm. to be decorated. I think I spent two weeks putting together Ikea cabinets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as decor mm -hmm. for that room mm -hmm. because it it needed, it needed to, to be, be done. done and I'm like I don't really feel like contributing anything professionally <laughs> right now <laughs> because I feel you know I was disheartened and feeling mm -hmm. like I wasn't being taken seriously so okay. I was like okay like you need someone to focus on putting this room together is that my job no does it have anything to do with you know my professional work no but I'm doing it. I got tons of accolades mm. for Isn't that it. Interesting. Everyone was super happy with the results. Mm -hmm. I got tons of pats on the back, more pats on the back than I got for the work that I was mm. actually like supposed to be doing mm -hmm. and actually mm -hmm. being paid to do. Which will always happen, by the way, with this quiet ambition strategy, because mm -hmm. the littlest thing you do outside of your role will be huge, right? Because it was outside of your role. Exactly. Exactly. So so many Love different choices and choices. options that you have yes. outside of just being unhappy yeah. in your role. So Sumi, if you had to summarize in 30 seconds, what's your biggest takeaway from how women can navigate any unhappiness or discomfort that they might be feeling in the workplace? Yeah. So if I were to summarize how to find more happiness, it would be, if you don't know what to do, focus on you. Oh, yeah. You coined that the other day. <laughs> I, I coined that the other day. 
if you don't know what to do, focus on you. And I think the biggest thing there is like realizing you have choice, right? So getting really honest with yourself, realizing you have choice and not letting yourself be stuck in any sort of like limbo or indecision because limbo and indecision is the biggest energy drain that we could give ourselves. And it just literally is like a downward spiral. So realize you have choice, focus on you and figure out what you want to do about it. Yeah. I would say for me, my biggest takeaway is really having like a bird's eye view of life overall, even outside of your career. Um, Because when you have a full life, when you've got good friends, good hobbies, things that you like to do that give you joy that you can also be invested in, um, all of those little moments of happiness, again, just add up to you can go to work and feel a higher baseline of happiness because you've elevated the volume of happiness in your life. Love it. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll talk talk to to you next time. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. And we'll see you next time.